daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to the panel discussion of World Today, a news program from a different perspective. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Saudi Arabia has attracted international attention this year with one diplomatic initiative after another: normalization with Iran, peace talks with the Yemeni Houthis, reintegration of Syria into the Arab League, efforts to broker a ceasefire in Sudan, and hosting Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky during the Arab League summit held in the Saudi city of Jeddah in May. Most recently. Saudi Arabia hosted senior officials from dozens of countries for a summit on peace talks over Ukraine. Some people say things are changing in the Saudi foreign policy, with Riyadh as an traditional ally of Washington setting its own agenda and balancing between global powers or players to maximize its own gains. So, in this edition of the program, we are going to take a look at Saudi Arabia's perceived pursuit of strategic autonomy. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on our previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching "World Today." So, joining us now on the line is Dr. Greg Barton, professor of global Islamic politics with Deakin University. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor. Thanks, Deakin. Great to be back with you. Also joining us is Dr. Wang Jing, Middle East expert and associate professor with Northwest University in the city of Xi'an, China. Welcome back. Well, my pleasure. And finally, we have Dr. Ben Rich, senior lecturer in international relations and history with Curtin University. Hello. Good evening. Okay, so Dr. Ben Rich, to start with you, first of all, um. What do you make of this fact that this recent rounds of peace talks over the Ukraine conflict were hosted by Saudi Arabia?、Um, well, I think this kind of is part of a broader effort of、uh, the kingdom trying to present itself as a much more、uh, proactive player in the international space.、Uh, traditionally. The Saudis tended to take a pretty、uh, back seat when it came to global politics.、Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they were a big player in the region and the Middle East.、Um, but this is all part of Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince, and sort of de facto leader at this point of the kingdom's efforts to kind of rebrand、um, the, the kingdom as a much more outward-facing,、uh, responsible member of the international community. Uh, and show that it can play a role in high politics—that is, the politics of great powers,、um, both in the region and without.、Um, this is very much an effort, I think, at、uh, symbolism and building prestige rather than necessarily resolving the conflict itself. Hmm. Okay. So, Dr. Wan Jing, what is your observation? For, for example, some people might say for Riyadh or for MBS himself. Uh, the content of the talks was actually less important than its diplomatic stance as a facilitator of goodwill in terms of a major conflict that has really underlined a major global rift over the past one year and more. What is your thought?、Uh, I think the conference itself, of course, is very important because it is organized by Saudi Arabia. It's more than forty forty、uh, days. And send their representatives to express their opinions and to share their ideas about the war between Russia and、uh, Ukraine. So actually, the, the the conference itself is very important, not only for Saudi Arabia but also for the whole world.、Mm. Uh, but also, we have to know that、uh, although there were some kind of discussions about okay whether、uh, why uh, uh, Russia was not invited, why there there were no、uh, shared statements after this meeting. But the, the the meeting itself is very important because、uh, after more than one years of、uh, very intensive、uh, conflict and the crisis、uh, between、uh, between Russia and the Ukraine, this is the very first time that、uh, the, the the country that could organize the, the very international conference that includes the different、uh, different countries who harbor different ideas about. 
uh, how this war should be ended, how the crisis should be settled. So that is why I call it very important and very meaningful. Although there were maybe a long way to go be- before the final solution found, but uh, the meeting itself is very important. Mm, yeah, it's really difficult, realistically speaking, to bridge the gap between, say, the Western countries and the global South. That's one aspect to put it. So, Professor Barton, let me turn to you. When Saudi Arabia resisted U.S. pressure sometime last year, I think, to increase this this oil output in the wake of the very high level of uh, sky high, you know, oil prices because of the Ukraine crisis, some American officials in 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 Washington D.C. at the time actually accused Riyadh of siding with Russia or siding with Putin. Then, when Saudi Arabia invited Ukrainian President Zelensky to attend this Arab League summit held in Jeddah in May, that particular move was、uh, seen by some observers as a sign that Riyadh was was distancing itself from Moscow. In your observation, what do you think is the real stance of Saudi Arabia on the Ukraine crisis? I think it's、uh, Dinghang. I think Saudi Arabia is looking after Saudi interests. That's very understandable. This is what nations do,、uh, but with increasing confidence.、Uh, the fact that uh, uh, President Vladimir Zelensky、uh, was invited and spoke very favourably of Saudi efforts, I, th- I think, sp- speaks well in favour of, of Saudi Arabia. That doesn't mean that Saudi, the kingdom, is favouring、um, Ukraine. It, it certainly doesn't want to have. An issue with Russia. It depends very much on Russia to partner with it in negotiations over oil prices.、Uh, but it's trying to trying to find a middle way, and it's it's looking after its own interest. It's neither pro-Russia or pro-Ukraine.、Uh, it's it's trying to advance its own best interests and show independence and 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 show itself able to chart its own course. Hmm. Okay. So, Dr. Ben Rich, I mean, one vocabulary we just heard from Professor Barton is confidence. I mean, that's exactly the observation on the part of some observers、uh, in, in this point that Saudi Arabia、uh, has grown increasingly confident in following what Riyadh sees its own, you know, foreign policy priorities, and some people have even termed it. As "quote unquote" Saudi first foreign policy,、uh, would you agree in this regard? Well, I think it's it's starting to manifest as a kind of、uh, a maturation of a bit of a Saudi foreign policy reorientation.、Um, this really began in 2015, 2016 with the new administration、um, led by MBS and his father、uh, King Salman. Um, but I think it's important to note that this initial reorientation, which was typified by an increasingly、uh, historically、um, unprecedented aggressive、um, Saudi foreign policy,、um, led to a number of quite counterproductive and uh, destructive uh, policy outcomes for the kingdom.、Uh, whether we're looking at the invasion of Yemen, which turned into、um, just a complete、uh, quagmire. Uh, whether we're talking, talking about the、uh, the diplomatic confrontation with Qatar, which kind of、um, blew back in the face of the Saudis,、uh, whether we're talking about the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi or the kidnapping of Prime Minister Hariri,、mm. um, these all sort of led to、uh, a number of quite embarrassing outcomes for the Saudis. Sort of a, so I think since then we've seen a bit of a reorientation, a recalibration. Um, by Riyadh to pursue these more progressive or sort of assertive foreign policies, should I say,、um, but perhaps with a bit more、uh, attenuated approaches that aren't going to lead to the same kind of own goals that we saw.、Um, and I think it's important to note that despite these setbacks,、uh, we've seen、uh, Riyadh persist with this fundamental drive to make itself. Um, more proactive in that international space, maintain that confidence. So it's pretty obvious that it's it's definitely committed to this path, although it may be engaging in a more kind of thoughtful and restrained way than the initial kind of、uh, efforts that we saw in the first five years of the administration. Hmm. Okay. So, Professor Barton, would you agree in this point that this level of、um, diplomatic or foreign policy confidence on the parts of Riyadh? 
has been there for many years, uh, like um, Professor Rich talked about earlier, since 2015 under the new administration with the MBS. But there is strategically or tactically there is this kind of a reorientation from a more confrontational approach to a more reconciliatory approach. Yeah, look, I think that's a it's a fair summary. As Ben said,、um, there's a list of of mistakes made, overreach,、uh, poor judgment. I think you could probably reasonably shoot that home to MBS. He he's the 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 guy leading the nation. And at home in Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman can get away with being an enfant terrible, you know, a sort of a a brash young ruler who has、uh, the political connections to do what he wants. We, we we've seen that. In the way he's treated the nation's elites,、uh, locking up in a, you know, a luxury hotel and shaking them down and accusing them of corruption, but when he tries to take that same style、um, uh, regionally and globally, it's backfired. It's backfired with Yemen, with with Qatar,、uh, and I think what we're seeing is not not just a maturation on the part of Saudi Arabia,、uh, but also on the part of its leader, effective leader,、uh, Mohammed bin Salman.、Mm-hmm. Uh, MBS recognises he's he's got a He's got to have credibility and legitimacy. His kingdom needs credibility and legitimacy. And、uh, this year,、uh, they, you know, he and his his nation seem back on course, and and there is a greater maturity evident. Okay, so Dr. Wan Jing, in your observation,、uh, what do you think this perceived confidence on the parts of Riyadh is based on? For instance, some people might say. It comes in part from this very comfortable, you know, oil prices or oil revenues that Saudi Arabia,、uh, Saudi Aramco, for instance, has been able to reap in recent years thanks to this very high level of oil prices. I mean, if that's the case, do you think it will actually raise questions about the sustainability of this diplomatic or foreign policy confidence? If sometime in the future there is a major decline of the oil prices, I think the oil price, or, the, or, or, or more specifically, that the the, the the energy revenues for Saudi Arabia is a very important foundation for its、uh, foreign policy. I mean, not 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 just for the the, the foreign policy,、uh, foreign policies we call it kind of the transformation after 2015 when、uh, Mohammed bin Salman uh, uh, started to、uh, to grow. Uh, into、uh, grow to 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 kind of、uh, to stay the power inside the Saudi Arabia, but, but before、uh, before that,、uh, I mean uh, for uh, before that decade,、uh, for for more than the decade that、uh, that, that, that the, the revenues、uh, from the energy sector has already become a very important foundation for Saudi Arabia's、uh, foreign policy implementation and its planning. So、uh, I th- I think the very core、uh, thing between Saudi Arabia's Uh, relations with the United States or the Saudi Arabia's transformation of its its own foreign policies、uh, into the very assertive manner、uh, could be attributed to the Saudi Arabia's intention to transform its own country because traditionally Saudi Arabia was a country、uh, with a lot of the energy revenue, of course, but、uh, but inside the country, as just、uh, our colleagues、uh, mentioned, that Saudi Arabia has a lot of internal problems, internal frictions, and also internal Different groups, they say different groups, it's different sectors, so that led to the different crisis, internal crisis inside the country. But then, when the, the King Salman、uh, assumed the power, especially when the, the Crown Prince、uh, Mohammed bin Salman、uh, the, took, took the power years ago, so they started to gradually transform the country from the very、uh, from the very status of internal、uh, competition into the internal unity. So that also led to the Uh, the new problem, because traditionally、uh, the outside powers, especially the United States,、mm. they hope to 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 take to to、uh, settle with the Saudi Arabia's issues from the internal way. For example, just just go to talk with these sectors, these groups inside Saudi Arabia, and talk with these groups inside Saudi Arabia. But now they have strong voice of the unity voice. So that is why they have to get、uh, get used to each other from the very new beginning. So that is why I think we can understand how this、uh, bilateral relations or the, how the, the, the diplomatic re-、uh, policies of Saudi Arabia started to、uh, to change、uh, during the past years. Hmm. Okay. So 
uh, Dr. Ben Rich, um, for years, a main driver of Saudi foreign policy was arguably this, you know, hostility or confrontation or rivalry between the kingdom and Iran. Now, was this landmark、um, Saudi-Iran rapprochement, as well as the subsequent changes in dynamics in countries like Yemen and Syria,、uh, does that mean Saudi Arabia's relationship with Iran is undergoing a sort of fundamental or structural transformation? Well, it's it's still early days.、Um, obviously, we had the uh, meeting uh, with uh, in uh, Beijing between、uh, the, the Saudis and the Iranians,、um, but I think we're seeing a number of kind of key shifts that are indicating there is going to be some kind of inevitable thawing of relations、uh, between Tehran and Riyadh. I mean, you have first and foremost、uh, the growing concerns around the reliability of the U.S. partnership. Obviously, there was a kind of、uh, supercharged effort to try and confront Iran during the Trump administration, and this turned out for the Saudis to be、um, pretty lackluster. So there is a, a sense that、um, maybe the U.S. is not、uh, backing the Saudis in the way it once did.、Um, you also have had the really、uh, poor performance of the the RSAF, the Royal Saudi Armed Forces, in Yemen. So that kind of military confidence. Um, when we've seen the battlefield testing of the Saudi military,、uh, may not be there, may not be as strong、um, as it once was.、Uh, 2019, you had the oil refinery attacks by Iranian proxies in 2019, uh, in uh, Abkhaz,、um, mm. uh, that really I think shook the uh, the Saudi uh, military and security establishment.、Um, and again, just the general failure of this more aggressive policy. Uh, adopted against the Iranians, so I think what the Saudis are saying is that this, this confrontational view、um, that MBS in, in initially adopted when coming into power just isn't going to、um, lead to any uh, positive uh, outcomes or bear any fruit.、Um, and at the end of the day, their neighbours they have to deal with one another.、Um, the Saudis had their crack,、um, and clearly it didn't work out too well. And so I think at the end of the day, the Saudis. Um, themselves are、um, nothing if not adaptable and pragmatic, and I think a rapprochement between them is going to probably be the reality that we see emerge over the next decade. Hmm. Okay. So,、uh, Professor Barton,、um, I mean, this is、uh, actually something that、uh, Dr. Ben Rich has already mentioned regarding the relations between Saudi and the, the United States. Arguably,、um, Saudi is an important partner or ally in the region for Washington, but、um, some observers have really attributed this Saudi-Iran reconciliation to Saudi Arabia's、um, so-called disillusionment with the U.S. policy. They are pointing to、uh, Joe Biden's earlier talking point of. Uh, describing Saudi Arabia as a pariah state, but in the meantime, like Dr. Benrich mentioned, they are also、uh, pointing to Trump administration's cold shoulder in 2019, following this very serious attacks on Saudi oil facilities. Now, of course, this year we have witnessed a number of senior U.S. officials, Jake Sullivan, Anthony Blinken, travel to Saudi Arabia, and last year Biden visited as well. Uh, but on a part of Riyadh, do you think、um, there is、uh, such a thing as disillusionment with the U.S. policy? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I think what the Trump years showed, and, and Saudi Arabia, along with the rest of the world, has every reason to、uh, be disappointed with America during the Trump years, is that、uh, depending on who's leading in Washington, America can change. So if we went back to a second Trump administration, I think Saudi Arabia, along with the rest of、uh, the region and the rest of the world, for that matter,、uh, would be very cautious about trusting the U.S.、Uh, that doesn't mean that that all the structures have changed. I mean, Saudi Arabia still depends、uh, upon the U.S. and the Fifth Fleet for security in the region.、Uh, I think there's more confidence in、uh, Joe Biden.、Um, there's Good reason for being upset with Joe Biden talking about Saudi Arabia being a prior state. Then, in some ways,、mm-hmm. perhaps there's the recognition that the the Khashoggi murder,、um, you know, is is was a serious mistake, moral mistake, of course, but also 
a, a diplomatic mistake, which means that Saudi Arabia has a hole to dig itself out of. I, I think the Saudi position now is that in the region, there is this rival, uh, Iran, but it's weak, and Iran is a pariah state. Uh, Saudi Arabia, if it can afford to have a ceasefire with Iran, uh, that's so much the better because it's it doesn't have the military strength to take on Iran de facto in places like Yemen. Um, that doesn't mean there's a real rapprochement with uh, Iran. It just means that if they can uh, defer hostilities, hopefully mm. indefinitely, that's 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 much the better. And Saudi Arabia, from the Saudi point of view, will prove itself as not being a pariah state, but a, a responsible nation in the region and a responsible nation on the global stage. And I think that's that's to be welcomed, even though we, we have to be critical about human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia and, and you know, hold them to uh, sort of higher principles. But but Saudi Arabia is trying to do the right thing at the moment. And mm. I, I think America will accept that. OK. So, Dr. Wang Jing, is Saudi Arabia moving away from the U.S.? That's a very, you know, blunt, blunt question I'd like to ask. Uh, well, uh, that, that depends on what, 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 what kind of uh, way, how to de- define the term away. Mm-hmm. Because if we're talking about the very close times, and that uh, once uh, happens before 2015, of course, of course, uh, what is happening now between the for the relations between Saudi Arabia and the United States is a kind of the, uh, walking away because actually they, they two two sides both distance each other a little bit more than their relations between uh, between nearly ten years ago. But uh, when we're talking about, for example, military cooperation or the political trust. And uh, even some kind of the economic uh, sectors cooperation. I think that the, the close ties just uh, worked as before. So uh, maybe for the trend, I mean, I mean, the two sides, especially the Saudi Arabians, want to uh, implement more inde- independent foreign policy, want to go independently uh, based upon its own interests and its own willingness. But uh, maybe this trend will take a longer time. Uh, for maybe that will be more observable in the future. Okay. So, Dr. Ben Rich, in your understanding, I mean, uh, talking about um, talking about this issue from the angle of the United States, um, what do you think is the determining factor of the U.S. policy towards Saudi Arabia? Do you think we're talking about things like domestic U.S. politics, this uh, Democrats versus Republicans, or are we talking about, say, uh, the supply of crude oil or something else? Uh, well, the, I mean, domestically, there's always been a Saudi lobby, as there always has been pretty much a lobby for every country in the United States. But I don't think they've been as decisive, decisive historically as other national lobbies inside the U.S. Um, oil supply, energy security... Um, this stretches all the way back to 1945 with the Bitter Lakes meeting between uh, Roosevelt and King Abdulaziz that basically sort of enshrined that relationship that the U.S. would be a security guarantor for the kingdom and the kingdom would be a, a guarantor for oil market stability globally. Now, this plays out a bit differently now than it did back then. Obviously, the U.S. doesn't actually import much oil um, from the, uh, the Saudis um, with its own production but the Saudis have played a key role in, in many cases stabilising uh, the market when there's been other forces for instability. Now, recently, this has obviously been a big challenge because of um, the, the Saudis not being willing to play ball over things like uh, the Russia-Ukraine crisis and step in. So there's a growing question there. But behind all this, there's also a, a more geostrategic um, factor that is really about maintaining the security architecture of the Middle East. Um, And this goes back to some very basic uh, aspects of um, great power politics. Um, The the key thing that the US doesn't want in the Middle East is a single dominant power, a single hegemon. Um, And it has spent inordinate amounts of blood, treasure, uh, and other forms of capital in ensuring that. Historically, the Saudis have played a key role in balancing against countries like Egypt during the Cold War, mm. um, Iran, uh, and are seen as, have been seen as kind of a pretty reliable partner because of a yeah. few restrictions, particularly. Yeah, thank you very much. That was Dr. Ben Rich. Let's take a short break. Uh, coming back, 
our discussion will continue. Stay with us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Today we are talking about how Saudi Arabia is responding to the changing dynamics in the global as well as regional order. Because、uh, over the course of so far this year, Saudi Arabia has really attracted some international attention with one diplomatic initiative after another. Joining our panel. Greg Barton, professor of global Islamic politics with Deking University; Dr. Wang Jing, Middle East expert and associate professor with Northwest University in Xi'an, China, as well as Dr. Ben Rich, senior lecturer in international relations and history with Curtin University. So, Dr. Ben Rich, before the break, you were giving your thoughts regarding. How the United States、uh, does now want a single hegemon in the region of Middle East.、Uh, finish your point. That's it. Thank you.、Um, just to say that、um, the Saudis have historically played a kind of critical role in this this wider architecture, but have also been seen、um, as kind of constrained from ever sort of ascending to that status of regional great power because of particularly around questions of the population. And also external dependencies on security、um, and technology.、Um, the thing that will be interesting to see over the coming years, however,、um, as the Saudis have strove for more、um, self-reliance through its Vision 2030 initiative, will、mm. they continue to try and、uh, move towards a more dominant position in the region? And if that was the case, what would the U.S. do in response? Yeah. Okay. So,、uh, Professor Barton, do you think、uh, Saudi Arabia is on a trend of moving towards the towards、uh, you know becoming the dominant player in the region? And if that's the case, how do you think America would respond? Well, I think Saudi Arabia, realistically,、uh, and we see this with Vision 2030, we see it with current oil prices, the management of oil prices. And trying to、um, step away from conflict with Iran, Saudi Arabia sees itself as being、uh, potentially the most significant economy in the region, the most powerful Arab state, and a, a stable and respected partner in the region. So, relations with Israel, for example, speak to that.、Um, you know, it's a it's a win for Israel, but it's a win for Saudi Arabia. I think America would welcome that.、Um, I think、uh, Ben is right.、Um, America doesn't want a.、Um, A hegemon in the Middle East, but it does want a series of strong, stable nations、um, that are committed to sort of playing by the rules, if only because they want to be respected and they, they want、um, legitimacy. And Saudi Arabia is moving into that space. In, in the past, it was it was rather insular and inward-looking. It was dominated by religious fundamentalism, and and sort of didn't seem to. Care about what other nations thought of itself. Now it wants to be seen as a a, a young, forward-looking nation,、uh, moving away from religious fundamentalism,、uh, engaging with technology,、uh, opening up a space for women, and、um, you know, backing away from some of the more draconian policies that that have damaged Saudi reputation in the past, and and being a good neighbour with Israel and other countries in the region, which in the past seemed impossible. So, I think everyone benefits from that outcome.、Um, There's this, there is this cloud of human rights abuses hanging over Saudi Arabia, but it's it's trying its best to distance itself and and to rebuild its credibility. I think America will welcome that. I think the, I think the rest of the Middle East welcomes that.、Um, you know, I think it's 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 frank, frankly a, a good thing. We should be critical、uh, and and pay close attention. There's some hubris things like the、um, the high tech city or future city of Neom. Um, is, is full of、um, fantastical claims, but nevertheless, the direction that Saudi Arabia is moving in is is, is the direction I think everyone wants to see it going in,、uh, because it, it it benefits the region and the world. Okay, actually, concurring this point by、uh, Professor Barton, I think、uh, Saudi Arabia's、um, new ambassador to Washington D.C. It's a lady.、Uh, earlier this year, during a、uh, media interview with CNN. She said, "We're a young nation. We have a young de facto leader. And、uh, if you take a look at Saudi Arabia today, it is、um, 
significantly and drastically different from what we were, say, five years ago or even three years ago. I think that's what、uh, this lady said at the time. Very interesting. So,、uh, Doctor Wang Jing, what is your thought about this regarding, say? Saudi Arabia's、uh, domestic economic transformation agenda and how it will it is impacting on its foreign policy.、Uh, well, the transformation of Saudi Arabia,、uh, as you are right, and, and I also totally agree that、uh, Saudi Arabia is on the very, very, very all around kind of the transformation for its own country. Because traditionally, Saudi Arabia、uh, was a very conservative country, although it was rich. It was richly based upon its, its、uh, oil from the、uh, its, its energy revenues, but uh, uh, for example, its social rules are very conservative. Its、uh, political system are、uh, very conservative, and also its, its foreign policies,、uh, to some extent, are also very conservative. Uh, but uh, after uh, after the King Salman、uh, assumed the power, especially after、uh, the Mohammed bin Salman became、uh, the became the Crown Prince. Then a lot of things started to change. We we witnessed the the the, 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 the birth of so-called the the Vision Twenty Twenty Thirty, and also we witnessed a lot, a lot of kind of reform inside Saudi Arabia. For example, the social sector, the the, the women, the females are, are are permitted to drive to drive their own cars. So this is a very very、uh, although it's a very small step I mean, for 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 a, a lot of other. States, but if we are talking about this kind of the issue of the females driving cars, driving vehicles、mm. in the very conservative Islamic、uh, the circumstances, it's a very very major achievement for the country's reforms. And also, for example, we witnessed the the, the plans of how to construct the country. For example, the infrastructures,、uh, the the new cities、uh, plan for the Saudi Arabia, and also the the, the transformation of the Saudi Arabia's foreign policies. So、uh, I call it the kind of all around. A transformation、mm. all around reform of the own country is a very big achievement. Yeah, so we will wait and see what's going to materialize out of all this all-round development or transformation. Now, Dr. Ben Rich,、uh, of course, earlier Professor、uh, Barton talked about this normalization of the relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Definitely, that's one thing that appears to be on the agenda, and this is something mediated by Washington D.C. The latest news is that the Biden administration said earlier this week that much more discussion or dialogue needed to happen before a potential deal could be reached in this、uh, in this regard. So, what do you think is the calculation of Saudi Arabia on this particular issue? I mean, this is an issue where. Washington D.C. or U.S. diplomats seem to be very active,、uh, but、uh, do you think there is a strong incentive for Riyadh to to pursue this particular agenda? Well, look, I, I definitely agree with Greg when he talked about、uh, things being a win for Saudi,、uh, being a win for Israel, and I think over the last couple of decades, this has increasingly been the case on a, a growing number of issues, whether it's to do with security, whether it's to do with economics. I think the U.S. certainly has a role to play here, but I think the the wider、uh, geostrategic reorientation of the region is really playing a factor in、uh, driving this issue. And I also think the the, the lower Interest on the Arab Strait around the Palestinian issue and the occupied territories is also another critical factor here.、It、once was obviously during the Cold War and sort of the 1990s that legit, if you, you know, if you wanted to be a leader in any Middle Eastern country, you basically had to take a stance against Israel、um, in relation to the Palestinian question. But I think there's a growing fatigue around that issue、um, mm. in terms of it being a source of legitimacy. Um, and so I think these wider strategic issues, where you see alignment between Tel Aviv and Riyadh, are playing more and more of a role. That is to say, with one caveat, the recent um, uh, intensification of、uh, anti-Palestinian policies that we've been seeing、um, under the new ultra-right-wing government in Israel, I think, may put a bit of a damper on that process because I do still think there is a line in the sand. That the Israelis can't really cross in this issue, and I think that the, the new government under Netanyahu has really been pushing the line. So I think the conditions that allowed for the rapprochement between the UAE 
and Israel that were there a few years ago aren't really there anymore. And so it may still be quite some time before we see official recognition uh, between Riyadh and Tel Aviv. Hmm. So, Professor Barton, according to Arab Barometer, which is a nonpartisan research network based in Jordan, I, I guess, Saudi Arabia ranks uh, second only to Turkey in terms of the public approval in the region of the Middle East. Uh, for example, uh, people in Iraq favor Saudi Arabia more than any country except China. And Mohammed bin Salman is their favorite political leader, only after the UAE's Mohammed bin Zayed. Well, I mean, this is probably、uh, pretty much at odds with the way、uh, many Western elites,、uh, Western politicians, tend to view Saudi Arabia ideologically. But、um, how? What? What would you make of this?、Um, let's say data. Sponsored or data-supported popularity of Saudi Arabia in the region. Well, I think there's a there's a rational basis for people looking to Saudi Arabia as a major economy, a major nation, perhaps the leading nation in the region.、Uh, other Arab states、uh, are either much weaker, like Jordan, or、um, economically and politically、um, much less reliable, like Egypt.、Uh, Saudi Arabia is looking increasingly credible. And also the changes we've just been discussing that、uh, that、uh, Dr. Wang spoke about and Ben spoke about, you know, Saudi Arabia is moving in the right direction.、Um, MBS, for all of his earlier mistakes and and、um, uh, and concerns,、uh, this direction of、uh, Saudi Arabia that is more open to half its population, to women uh, uh, being educated and taking、uh, leading roles, to Saudi Arabia being more youth-oriented, to being just generally more progressive and more cosmopolitan. Uh, is is not just good news for the for the people of Saudi Arabia, but it's good news for the region because if Saudi Arabia can do that, then it'll have a ripple effect potentially across across the Arab world. So I, I think there is what we're seeing is a degree of optimism and and hopefulness. And the Middle East is often a place where it's hard to see good news. And, and you know maybe、um, there's a long way to go with Saudi Arabia, but but you can't blame people for for wanting to. Hope that this this vision 2030 optimism、mm. for Saudi Arabia plays out for the entire region.、Mm. Okay, so they see some hope, some optimism, and some reason to be optimistic. That's for sure. So, Doctor One, I mean, when we talk about this perceived, you know, public opinion popularity of Saudi Arabia in the region,、um, in turn, do you think this perceived popularity? Will offer any guidance or inspiration to Saudi Arabia's regional foreign policy in the foreseeable future?、Uh, well, you are right. I, I think it,、uh, to some extent, proves the very success of Saudi Arabia's foreign policy or its regional policy.、Uh, regional policy, uh, because uh, actually, a lot of、uh, institutions, a lot of the research establishments, they, they do some kind of surveys all across the Arab world, all across the Middle East, to find out okay who. Might be the most popular leader in the Middle Eastern countries、uh, for the Middle Eastern people. So、uh, during the past, I think in my memory, if I remember correctly,、uh, during the past two、uh, nearly two decades, nearly two decades,、uh, maybe more than ten years,、mm. that uh, Erdogan, uh, Erdogan, uh, he、uh, from Turkey, he was and has already been the most popular leaders in the、uh, in the Middle Eastern countries, including also including the the, the Arab states. Okay. But then, who's ranked the second? There were a lot of、uh, debates, there were a lot of discussions. But、uh, during the past years,、uh, I mean, different academic establishments, surveys, and their research proved that the very high-speed、uh, high、growth of the popularities among the Arab peoples over the over over the Mohammed bin Salman and over、mm. the, the Saudi Arabia leaders. So that、okay. proved the very success of the Saudi Arabia's their own policies. Their, their, for example, their internal、uh, economic social development that could be witnessed by the other Arab Arab states people. So that's why we they chose. Okay, well, we also, we also want kind of leader like Mohammed bin Salman, and also on the other hand, their regional、uh, policies are highly accepted. By the by, the other regional countries. So that is why the other people from the other、uh, Arab states they also praised and also accepted the role of Mohammed bin Salman as a very very good leader, and they also want to find some their own leaders who are similar 
uh, to the Muhammad Salman. So that's why I, I say that, that that's to some extent proved the very success of Saudi Arabia's its own internal development, but also their uh, foreign policies and regional policies in the, in the Middle East. Mm. Okay, so Dr. Ben Rich, if we talk about um, the China relevance in this whole Saudi Arabia foreign policy, I mean, of course, China played a uh, mediating role, a key mediating role in this Saudi Saudi Iran reconciliation or rapprochement. But in the meantime, I feel like bilaterally, it seems this uh, this tension, geopolitical tension between China and the United States, has now really prevented Saudi Arabia from moving to strengthen its bilateral ties with uh, China. For instance, President Xi Jinping's trip to Saudi Arabia in December last year saw the two sides sign scores of um, deals and agreements worth tens of billions of U.S. dollars. Now, of course, I mean, China is a major buyer of the Saudi oil, that's for sure. So a good relationship with Beijing matters to Riyadh, that's for sure. But in addition to that aspect, what else do you think... um, Saudi Arabia is looking to gain from its ties with China? Well, look, I mean, fundamentally, I think the Saudis see uh, China as uh, an honest broker in the region, particularly in many cases when you compare them with the US. Um, The Chinese engagement in the region has historically been primarily focused on economic and economic cooperation um, and has largely avoided questions around ideology, questions around um, uh, administration type Um, and has been pretty consistent in execution. And obviously, China is an ascending power at the time. So I think the Saudis, again, pragmatically um, view that relationship as a growing one, an important one, and one that they are increasingly wanting to invest in and one that they can invest in with a bit of a vision towards the future. Um, Whereas I think the, the relationship with the US, given the recent fluctuations, um, perhaps there's a bit less confidence there. It doesn't mean they're ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, obviously, Middle Eastern states historically have been very, very good at uh, playing one side off against the other. But I think those are t- key factors that are underpending this growing uh, connection between Beijing and Riyadh. Okay. So, uh, Professor Barton, um, what do you think... China can really uh, offer or contribute to, say, Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030? Well, I, I think if you see things from the, from the point of view of Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. uh, you want to be on very good relations with the world's um, first and second largest economies and, and, and major powers. Um, on the one hand, there is no alternative at this point in time to the U.S. Fifth Fleet in terms of of military power in the region and and that security. But in terms of economic relations, um, you know, China uh, potentially offers more than the U.S. And uh, it's not an either-or choice. It's not a zero-sum game. Mm. Um, China needs to invest. It needs to to find a a good place to um, uh, get growth. And, and, And Saudi Arabia, if it's to achieve even a fraction of this uh, Vision 2030 uh, needs to have uh, financial capital beyond its own reserves, and and it, it needs to have the credibility of international partnership as well. So, I, I think it's very understandable that, that 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 Saudi Arabia wants to be taken more seriously by China, and, and sees China as as being a, um, a a stable partner and an important partner. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia, you know, like like most nations, doesn't want to choose between America and China, and I think actually. Um, you know, even America doesn't want Saudi Arabia sort of making that choice. Um, the whole world depends on the success of of, of the stability and, and growth of, of the Chinese economy. Um, so, you know, this is not a zero-sum game. Everyone stands to win if, if there can be um, good and stable relations. And, and so I, I think seeing Saudi Arabia's choices in that context just makes perfect sense. And, it, and it's not, not a threat to anyone. It, it's just a very logical choice for them to be making. Okay. So, Dr. Wang Jing, we talk about the bilateral ties between Saudi and China, but in the meantime, in some regional grouping or uh, multilateral grouping like uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization or the BRICS, uh, the role of China is also pretty significant, that's for sure. 
Now, with regard to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, Saudi Arabia has already joined as a dialogue partner. And according to South Africa, this year's rotating chair of the BRICS, Saudi Arabia is among dozens of countries that are interested in joining the grouping. So, to Saudi Arabia, what do you think the SCO and the BRICS would mean? I think the, both uh, SCO and the BRICS they offer a kind of a new. Uh, new channel for Saudi Arabia to、uh, to better develop itself, because uh, traditionally, uh, let's be frank, Saudi Arabia's、uh, economic growth can be largely、uh, attributed to its very close ties with the、uh, Western countries, especially the United States.、Uh, for example, Saudi Arabia exported its oil and energy directly to the the Western market, and in, in the exchange of the、uh, foreign currency, and then it uses foreign policies. Currency to, to develop itself, but now the Saudi Arabia hopes to transform itself from the very、uh, have heavily energy de-、uh, dependent、uh, economic structure. So it hopes to seek new channels with the other parts of the world, especially the other、uh, the, the growing economies in this world. So that is why, on the one hand, they hope to、uh, the Saudi Arabia hopes to develop the closer ties with BRICS to even join this kind of mechanism to. Take new、uh, cooperative opportunities, and on the other hand, Saudi Arabia also hopes to、uh, strengthen its and consolidate its own、uh, role in defending itself and its own role in, in, in the issues of the security and defensive issues、uh, for itself. So that is why、uh, SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, could be another、uh, choice and option because Shanghai Cooperation Organization was not a very military、uh, alliance that、mm. uh, against a, a third party, but it's a very uh, security uh, dialogue uh, channel, a security dialogue mechanism that、uh, could bring everybody closer together. So that is why、uh, Saudi Arabia could play an important role in this、uh, in this multilateral mechanism, Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So that is why I, I think both Shanghai, both SEO and BRICS will offer Saudi Arabia and Riyadh a new choice to、uh, to construct not only itself but also to help Saudi Arabia reconstruct the whole world. Mm, yeah, I mean, definitely, Shanghai Cooperation Organization is fundamentally different from organizations like NATO. That's for sure. Now,、uh, Dr. Ben Rich, one thing interesting to note is that this recent peace talks over Ukraine held by Saudi Arabia actually, you know, ended up bringing together Western countries as well as. Many influential global South countries. So, with that in mind, do you think Saudi Arabia can position itself as a facilitator of dialogues between the global South and the global North on issues that go beyond the Ukraine crisis? I mean,、uh, certainly, I think it just sort of will depend on the particular situation.、Um, I think the Saudis are kind of looking to their sort of. East, overlooking at、uh, Oman and its historical role in the region as a kind of、uh, a channel for dialogue,、uh, being an honest broker in those kind of conversations, and、uh, sort of upscaling that to the global、uh, market. But obviously, you know, we're dealing with an end study of one at the moment, so I think that's something we'll just have to wait and see if they continue that. But it certainly stacks up with this growing. Uh, desire for international prestige and、uh, posturing that the MBS administration has really adopted since ascending.、Hmm. Okay, so Doctor、um, or Professor Barton, I mean, when we talk about say independent foreign policy or strategic autonomy,、uh, this idea is something that、uh, certain European countries or some particular、um, European politicians, like French President Emmanuel Macron,、uh, this is something that they have been talking about for quite some time, for a long time actually. But in reality. This idea seems to be pretty difficult or very challenging to pursue, given the role that uh, the, uh, the the United States is playing in 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 the realm of the security of Europe. Some people even say this Ukraine crisis has even eroded the European ambition in this regard. So, when we talk about Saudi Arabia, how far do you think Saudi Arabia's pursuit of strategic autonomy can go? 
Well, I, I think we need to distinguish, uh, Ding Hang, between um, sort of the aspirational, emotional statement of strategic autonomy and what it means operationally and practically. I, the reality in this world is that no nation, mm. certainly no large nation, can actually have complete strategic autonomy. Of course, every nation pursues its own interests and um, avoiding being wedged and avoiding having to choose sides and having a degree of neutrality is is um, uh, for most nations very desirable. Uh, but I think what the war in Ukraine has shown, shown all of us, certainly shown Europe, is that we, we need to work together. We can work by working together. We can we can achieve something significant. Um, but without working together, no nation has the power to do it by itself, whether it's the US or any of the large European powers. And I, I don't think Saudi Arabia is proposing to go it alone. I think it just wants to be seen as a, uh, a respected and, and reliable partner in the region and in the world. And um, so, in a sense, its strategic autonomy is, is not so much about being completely independent. It's about being integrated, engaged and, and called upon, you know, whether it's for things like um, uh, uh, peace talks or, or just being a, a reliable partner, um, being accepted as, as as a respected and legitimate, um, a large, uh, stable nation, is uh, you know is it, not about being autonomous. It's it's rather about being reliable. Hmm. Okay. So, Doctor One, the final words go to you. We still have about one minute or so for our dialogue today. Do you think there is anything that makes Saudi Arabia's situation uh, fundamentally different from that of Europe, given that both Europe and Saudi Arabia, you know, security-wise, is very much dependent on America. Uh, I think the Saudi Arabia will become more and more independent because Saudi Arabia is not only the the, the, the very important rich state in the region, but also he perceives itself and also wants to construct itself into the, the the factor leader of the whole Islamic world, although now he has a lot of other challengers and competitors. So I think that in the future, with the growth and the very the, with the trend of Saudi Arabia's growing independence, I think he, we Saudi Arabia and Riyadh will develop the, the different way of the, the of the relations from the Europeans' the relations with the, the United States. Thank you to our great panelists for your participation. We have been speaking with Greg Barton, professor of global Islamic politics with Deakin University, Dr. Wang Jing, Middle East expert and associate professor with Northwestern University in Xi'an, China, as well as Dr. Ben Rich, senior lecturer in international relations and history with Curtin University. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.